0: That's good to be with you again. I had a better week. I got my computer back. I've got part of my health back, so I'm getting re- written this cold. So that's that's good. I hope your week was was good. I've got a couple of questions for you to get you started, uh, to percolate your mind and give you a sense of the direction that we're going in. The first first one is this: How good are you at math? Uh, man, it, that always gets that kind of moaning response from 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 some folks. Second question is this. Uh, and then I need an honest, how, how do you like to look at yourself personally in the mirror? Well, anybody can answer positively for two of them, or, or anybody for O oh for two, sometimes that's the, that's the way we are. You've probably heard about smoke and mirrors, well what I want to talk to you about today is math and mirrors, so that's what we'll hang our, our thoughts as we work our way through. There's going to be a key equation that I'll give you here in just a minute, that will encapsulate pretty much all that we have to say. And then there's going to be a pretty vivid image that James gives us to help us out along that line, too. So go with me to James uh, chapter 1, where we are today. And I want to read the text first for us. It comes in verse 21, down through about 25. It says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, uh, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they had heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. Okay, here's the equation that you need to remember for this healthy life that James wants us to be able to live. Listening plus doing equals blessing. If you got that, you got the message. Say it with me. Listening plus doing equals blessing blessing. We've got to hang on for the rest of it, but you've got the message up in the front end, okay? There was a professor uh, back when I was in, in Bible college starting out my, my study. He taught a class called Senior Bible. It was a capstone class that was for those that were finishing their last year of study. And he was a he was kind of a quirky, very, very bright but a quirky sort of guy. And <clears throat> at, at one point, and the class by the way was at 7 o'clock in the morning. 7 a.m. Yeah, uh, that was quirky that was quirky enough. We had classes back at seven A. M. That was when we walked through the snow to get, you know, how that how all those stories go. But I mean it was very dark and very cold in the wintertime when you when you went in there. I was happy that I was not a senior when this happened. I was a junior, but everybody on campus knew what was going on. He was frustrated with the lack of what he thought was the preparation of the class and their attentiveness while he was teaching. And so he set up this this kind of class admission requirement of fairly early in the semester. Every student, this was the rule, I don't know how he got by with this, but he, every student was supposed to get up, take a shower, and all the guys had to put on a coat and tie, and all the ladies were supposed to dress up in, you know, nice dresses. The ticket to get into the class was to clean up and to dress up. Now, I'm fully aware that you cannot get by with this. I've taught freshmen and and grad students, even grad students, you know, and and even when I taught a class that started at 10 and 11 o'clock, I was lucky if they got out of bed like four or five minutes before they came in, and sometimes they would be late because they had to stop and get some breakfast, you know, that's, you have have to be ready, you know, i had been up forever, but they were there. Uh, I have, I've decided that a lot of college students today basically uh, go to bed about the time that we get up, so it, it kind of flips when you're going through that. So I can I can identify with a guy, but back to my story, they had to get up, they had to take a shower, they had to be fully dressed in their right mind before 7 o'clock for this Bible class. Now his thought process was that if they spent a little bit more time getting ready for class they would be a little bit more present in class. Uh, fortunately it did not last for the whole semester. It didn't last in the second year for which I was thankful. I'm not really sure how how bright an idea it was, but but it, it made the point. If you want to learn, if you want to listen, you need to be ready. Now, it's kind of weird to talk about coats and ties and dresses when we're doing a series called Blue Jeans Theology, but if you listen to James, there's a little bit of that professor in what he has to say. If you want to listen, his text says, you need to get yourself ready. Ready, and that readiness involves a cleanup process, and he particularly describes it in this way: that you have to get rid of like old dirty clothes. We have to strip ourselves bare of that filthiness that too often captures us and makes it not possible for us to to listen to what God is trying to say for us. I told you last week about my my grandmother who had that cot that had the leather on the top of it, kind of like a Uh, kind of like a trunk that sat in her parents uh, by the outside door, kind of like a mudroom, and the guys that came in in the country from working in the fields uh, before the meals during the day would cool off and sit there or even lie down on it to be able to rest a little bit because you don't cool down in nice chairs that you sit in around, uh, around the dinner table. Uh, And I'm sure that even before they got even that far, if they didn't change their clothes, they at least had to wash their hands or their arms or whatever they could do to be ready because you don't come into a meal dirty. Now, interestingly, this word (coughs) that James uses here for this filth that you need to get rid of as part of that preparation process, the, 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 the kind of the root word for that, if it was used in a medical sense, described, believe it or not, wax in the ears. Which is kind of interesting. Now, I don't know that that's what he's trying to say here, but perhaps you know. Sometimes we use a word; we choose a word that has a little bit of a double meaning, and that may have been the cas- case here because he he's talking about listening. So he he picks he picks a word that describes what it's like when you've got something blocking that ability to hear. When I was a kid, and my mom would say something to him to me, there were occasions when I would not hear her. Um, basically, I was not listening to her. And in the kinder moments when that would happen, she would look at me and kind of uh, grin a little bit, and she would say something like, do you need to clean your ears out? Now, if she said it to me again, and I still didn't listen, she may have gotten a little harsher and said something, do I need to clean your ears out? You know, get a little bit more intentional that way. So perhaps what James is saying is that Too often this stuff that clutters up our lives or that fills our ears makes us unreceptive, unready to be able to hear what God is trying to speak in our lives. Sometimes it is good to get up and dress up and have the ticket for admission to God's voice ready for you. Jesus loved to tell stories, and one time he told a story about varied types of reception how open people were to uh, the Word of God. And he used it talking about soils. Uh, if you look over in Matthew 13, around 3 and following, I'll, let me just tell you this story. He says, Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock and The seeds sprouted uh, sprouted quickly because the soil was uh, shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns. They grew up and choked out the tender plants, and still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was planted. Then the finale of the story says, Anyone... With ears to hear, should listen and understand. Now, everywhere Jesus went, there were all kinds of crowds that followed him around, and and they, they appeared to be listening, but some of the people were listening and they did not understand, especially when he told some of these stories. There were some of them that were intrigued by them, and some of them just scratched their heads, like, what in the world is he talking about? And he said to his disciples who were wondering about this, he says, some are permitted to understand. They're given insight to the secrets of the kingdom, and others are not. And he says those that are genuinely listening would hear and gain more knowledge, while those who are not listening, even what understanding they had, would be taken away from them. Or In, in the explanation, I like the way Eugene Peterson captures it. and He kind of amplifies what, what Jesus seems to have been saying here. He says, whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and the understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon just disappears. That's why Jesus said, I tell stories to create readiness, to nudge the people towards receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. And I like this part. He says, I don't want... Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again, and he quotes some of what the prophet Isaiah had to say. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. That's that's pretty straightforward. They stick their fingers in their ears so they don't have to listen. You ever do that when you were a kid? You know, somebody's trying to tell you something. I can't hear you, I can't hear you, la, 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 la. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. But you, he said, have God blessed eyes, eyes that see, and God blessed ears, ears that hear. It's almost like James has got this parable in the back of his head when he's writing these words because as you you read through this, he says that this word that we're needing to be listening to, we need to humbly accept as if it were being planted inside you in a saving way. So let me ask you a fairly personal question. What is there in your heart that tends to resist the word of God being humbly received by you? What kind of what kind of stuff do you have? Now, I don't want to call you blockhead. That that that's almost like the stupid that we talked about, you know, a little bit later on. That's kind of a harsh thing to say, but you know the prophets said that a lot. You know, they were stiff-necked, hard-headed. That probably is a good translation of it, they were they were kind of kind of blockheaded. What is there about me, about you, that is pride filled, that is resistant, that is stubborn, self-focused, that just shuts my head off from hearing anything good? What about me is is soiled or filthy in my disposition? What is it that makes me all but deaf in hearing what God has to say? The clutter that fills up our lives with Everything that is godly makes it tough for us to listen what God has to say, and James is saying you gotta you gotta do something about that to be receptive, to be humbly receptive. There was a young boy named Josiah who was eight years old when he ascended to the throne in Jerusalem. Now that's young to become a king; the the crown probably would fall over his head, um, and so he he surely had some help early on. But he grew up with a heart for God, and. Over in uh, second kings 22 and uh, second chronicles 34 you find his story in those those parallel books and in the tenth year of his reign that would have been when he was 18 years old he looked around and he he was old enough to understand that there was there was just a lot of stuff that was going on in the kingdom that was not good and so he decided that what he needed to do was to purify the land and and the temple there were all kinds of pagan practices there were There were idols and altars to all kinds of surrounding pagan gods. There was even a a, a room for prostitutes in the temple, sacred prostitutes. I mean, that's how how distorted worship had gotten. So he appointed this team of of leaders that he said he wanted to go out and, and clear this stuff away and particularly to restore the temple. And he provided them with all the supplies and resources they need from his treasury and from the treasury of the people. And in the course of this job, Hilkiah, who was the high priest, discovered something interesting as they were sweeping up and getting the stuff out of the cupboards and closets and everything like that of the temple. Do you know what he found? He found the Bible. He found he found basically the 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 covenant the the, the the writing of Moses, the the stuff that really was the core of everything that they were supposed to believe, and he brings it to King Josiah, and Josiah is just how how, how can this be that we lost God's word? I mean that that's you know how, that doesn't seem possible. And so, in his humility and his mourning, he he tears his clothes, which was a, a kind of a cultural way back then to rip your clothes and sort of sitting sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. I mean, it was like, this is terrible. And so he asked Hilkiah to go back to the temple and to ask on behalf of him and the people what, what they should do. And the response that Hilkiah brings back from God is that God's ticked. Understandably so. He said he's very, he's very angry because they had not obeyed the word of God. They didn't even know where it was. They, they didn't even read it anymore. They were not doing what the law had been told of to them, but God had told this high priest that because of the sorrow and the humble heart of Josiah, that he was going to delay the punishment that he was going to bring upon them, and it would be after Josiah was uh, put peacefully in his grave. So Josiah uh, commanded that all the repairs of the temple uh, continue, and that when it was all over with, all the people were supposed to come together. And then we had this great big assembly in, in front of the, te- uh, front of the, of the temple. And here's what he did. The book that the high priest had discovered, the king himself stood up while well, the people stood up and he read them all that was in there. He didn't just delegate it to somebody else. He was, he was the big guy and so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this book of the law. And the people listened to what he had to say and they renewed their their, their covenant. Sometimes, Sometimes the reason that we don't hear God's voice is because it's sadly absent from us. We just don't listen to it. It's like it's gotten buried under all the stuff that's around. Sometimes it's because when we hear it, we don't receive it humbly in a receptive way. Well, James, when he describes this listening, uh, gives it a sense of what sometimes people would call active listening, because when he goes ahead and talks about it, he says in verse 22, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Think that just by hearing it that somehow you got it all down. And maybe you did find it, it out of the dust and the ashes, you brought the book back, and, and you listened to it, but you think, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, verse 22 in, in the message says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but Letting the word go of God go in one ear and out the other. Now some of you guys you come to church every Sunday and, and you're one of the most attentive audiences I've ever spoken to. I mean you're you're really responsive, but I bet there are some of you that leave and forget. You know, you you it goes one ear and it, it goes out the other. You, you may even you may even know the scripture that we're talking about. When I was a kid, I I used to love to go to camp. Christian service camp, they called it back then. I'd go to two weeks. I went to one week that was a regular week, and I went one week that was kind of like high test week, called the life recruit week. It was like if you were wanting to go into vocational ministry, you would do that. And <coughs> we had all kinds of competition. They still do that in camps, don't they? You know, you, you compete with each other and you get points. And, you know, if you win an athletic competition, you get so many points. And even if you make up your bed real well, you may win points for that. And, and you have the best Bible drama or, or whatever. But one of the things that you did if you really want to get great points because they would really load those up as you would memorize scripture and you know you could you could memorize you had short verses and long verses if you did like Jesus wept you got like a half a point or something like that i don't know one of those one of those short verses but you know if you if you learn the whole 23rd psalm or all the beatitudes or a section of the sermon on the mount or whatever some extended passage i mean you get 500 points 1000 points whatever that you'd recite it to your faculty member and and uh, they'd check it off and say, hey, hey, you did that. But, you know, it was easy to put stuff in your head, and it, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily go any further than that. Today, uh, I guess the contemporary thing uh, on steroids of the camp thing would be a thing called Bible Bowl. It's kind of based on a, an old uh, game show, college bowl they used to have on TV. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. It's where kids, usually high school age or sometimes younger than that, they, they learn just amazing amounts of Scripture. You know, the 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 for the year they might like memorize the book of Acts and they know everything about the Book of Acts that you would ever know about the Book of Acts. You know it's possible though to know everything, to be able to quote everything that Jesus said or a, a whole book and and still maybe not really listen to what it has to say. I mean be honest. How many times have you have you listened to a sermon or a or a lesson and you thought, well, wow, that was that was really interesting. And then you, you go out and you just kind of forget it. Be honest. It, it, how many of us are, well, I think you're listening. I hope you're listening right now. But, you know, we got a lot of distractions that we've got. And here's, here's the kicker for James. He says, if, if you've gotten yourself ready, if you've really opened up your heart, and if you're listening to what's going on, has it actually changed your life? James does not stop with just encouraging us to hear, but he goes on and says, you need to do what it says. Listen, but also doing. There's a well-known preacher who invited um, an evangelist in, somebody who could talk to these college students with whom he was working, and the guy was pretty well known, and and when he spoke to the to so the students, the the, the preacher that the guy that invited him in was just really impressed with what he had to say. And after it was all over with, not in some kind of patronizing way or whatever, he went up to him and said, "You know, I just really, really appreciated what you what you had to say. It really it really spoke to my heart." And he was surprised because the guy turned to him fairly abruptly and he said, "Well, what are you going to do about it?" And he turned around and walked away. And he thought, "Well, what's wrong with you?" You know, he was trying to. Say something nice, and he said quite honestly. For a long time after that, when he thought about that speaker, he was not too crazy about him because it was like he, you know, kind of like flippantly responded. But he said he couldn't get that out of his, out of his head, and he thought to himself a lot of times in life. Well, so, what are you going to do about that? James describes this self-deceptive attitude where we hear and we don't do anything and we conclude that hearing was was enough. We, we don't change, we, we don't do anything any differently, we just have a whole lot more knowledge about God in our heads. We may even convince ourselves that somehow we're good when we're not necessarily good. The Apostle John, in one of his short letters, put it this way, First John eight, he says, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Who are we fooling? We 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 got all the information, but we just haven't done anything about it. Being genuinely teachable means that I am changeable. That what I hear doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, but because I have humbly received the word that's planted in my heart, it actually translates into some change some different behavior in my life. And it's here that we turn from the math equation to the image of of the mirror. And I'll ask you that second question again. How many of you really enjoy looking in a mirror? You know, I came into church this morning in the first service, and one of our guys, I won't say his name, but he sat over there and played the guitar on the stool there, and he came out out of the bathroom and he said, I just looked at myself and I could not be any better. And uh, I said, man, Thank you very much. That's going to be a perfect thing for me to, <clears throat> to throw into the service here. How many of you, though, look in a mirror and say, wow, that's good? James says it this way in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, which we just talked about, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, he's especially, I think, have in mind that what you see is not necessarily what pleases you. You look at yourself, and you see some stuff in the mirror of the Word that basically sort of scares you to death. But what you do is you walk away. I came across this uh, a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was sort of an interesting example of what it's like when you see yourself honestly and how you sometimes respond. If you want to have a fun time, just that thing goes on and on and on and on and on and on just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I've never been to a spa. I've never had, had a, a face mask like that, but sometimes I look in my bathroom mirror and I I don't make that noise, but I think it inside my head. You know, you bags under your eyes, things that you wish you could cover up somehow. You know, it's kind of a frightening experience to go through that. And so you just sort of try to get through what you're doing fairly, fairly quickly. And <coughs> I, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're like my friend back there who comes out of the bathroom and says he just couldn't get any better. I, I don't know. But a lot of us, when we look, are not really super, super excited about that. James understands that what we see in the mirror a lot of times confronts us with the scary truth that our lives are not what they ought to be. And then we have a choice. Do we just go away, he says, and, and forget it? Or maybe we make some modest correction. There's sometimes when I get up in the morning, maybe that's you, you know, you look and you, you see some stuff that's out of place and so you wet down the brush and pull the, pull the hair down or you, I don't know, whatever you do, you, whatever quickly you can do it, finally you just say, well, that's as good as it's going to get. That's it. That's just going to have to pass for the day. And then you go out and all the other people that see you walk by the mirror during the day make that noise. And like that lady did, oh, I can't do what she said, but just, just kind of remember what her voice sounded like. James says, what you need to do is to listen closely enough that you get what he's trying to say. He urges us to listen even more closely. Notice how he uses the word intentional. He puts it this way. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they had heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Listening or looking requires more intentionality than most of us allow. We don't look too closely because we don't like what it shows about us. He says, you need to not only look, but you need to continue to look. Uh, My wife has been looking for a mirror. She broke the mirror that she had that she uses in the morning when she puts her makeup on. She likes to do it in a window that has some morning light. And honest to goodness, we've looked everywhere for a mirror that's exactly like the one And I, I don't know, I guess they don't make them anymore. I, I'm not sure. But it's one of those mirrors that's got one side that's normal and the other side that's kind of big, you know, kind of shows. I don't like those mirrors, I, you know. I, <coughs> I I, don't need anything that shows me more what I look like in, in closer-up fashion under the microscope there, you know. I, I in fact, the plain old mirror is fine with me. I wouldn't even mind having one that made you, you know, it was even further away. So you just kind of look at yourself at a, at a distance there. I, I, I'm i not one that really is crazy about just intently looking. But that's what James says. He says when we, when we see what God is trying to say to us, when we hear what God is trying to say to us through this mirror-like experience with his word, he says you really need... You really need to amp it up. You really need to, to see what he's saying to your heart. Chuck Swindoll, talking about this passage, said it's kind of like the difference between somebody who audits a class and somebody who takes it for credit. You ever, take, you ever audited a class? It's cheaper. Sometimes it's free. Uh, they charge you just a little bit. If you audit the class, you don't have to read the book. You don't have to take the test. You don't have to talk in class, although, interestingly, those at audit sometimes want to talk more than, because they don't have any idea what they're talking about, so they want to be involved. But if you take a class for credit, you have to read the book, or at least you're supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to show up on a regular basis for the class. If you're audit, you know it's like, well, if you don't show up, what's anything to do? You don't flunk a, the class like that. You have to study for the test. You have to prepare yourself for, for what's going on there is a difference between the person who listens to God like he's taking the class for credit or beyond that. I think I think part of the struggle for us, though, is that sometimes when we are listening to what God has to say, we've got this distorted sense of the fact that if we listen real carefully, we're just going to feel worse about ourselves. We're going to see in the mirror all this stuff that's not good about us, that the, that the law or the Word of God is like a stick that God uses to somehow beat us into being better people. And there, there is a sense in which the law in the Old Testament was designed as a way to convict people of guilt and that we fall short. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, but I don't think that's God's ultimate purpose. And that is definitely not what James has in mind here, because this law that he describes seems to be far more gracious. Here's how he puts it. He says, it is the perfect law that gives freedom. Not that feels oppressive, not that makes you feel shamed, not that makes you feel guilty, but that makes you feel free. That verse that I read from 1 John just a few minutes ago goes on to say, uh, if, we, if we don't deceive ourselves, he says, if we confess, if we admit our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's not guilt-producing, that is, that is life-giving. Now, interesting, the word that, that James uses here for this intentful look is, it kind of has a sense like you stoop down and you lean forward to be able to see, and it's the same word that they use to describe when Peter and Mary stooped and leaned forward to take a look into the empty tomb Do you remember when they got to the garden after jesus was raised from the dead they were looking for dead man's bones they, they were they were looking for the decaying body of jesus and to their surprise what they saw with that intentful look was not a cemetery but a but a resurrection place not dead man's bone but resurrected news you see James is trying to say to us, if you look carefully into this perfect law of God, yeah, it's going to tell you there are things that you need to clean up in your life, but it's going to give you hope. It is a law that is built on the spirit of freedom. So get yourself ready, he says. Uh, Listen to what God has to say. Do something about it. And the end result, the mathematical equation is that listening plus is doing equals what? Blessing. Good stuff comes out of that. He doesn't want us to feel beat up when we read this passage. He wants us to feel full of hope. Look full face into the measure of God's word. Let it reflect back to you what's incomplete in your life, but let it, let it build in you what is good and perfect and holy and blessing. Well, we've come to the end of what James had to say, but I want to tell you one more story that illustrates, I think, some of this listening and doing and blessing part. There's a guy named uh, Joe Pistico- uh, Pistica- Um I came across his story a couple weeks ago. He said he, he's, a, he's a believer in uh, healthy lifestyle choices is a way to prevent coronary artery, the effect of coronary artery disease. But his his commitment, he says, didn't come naturally to him. It came out of need. When he was 33 years old, uh, after about 33 years of healthy living, not really paying a whole lot of attention to how he was doing. He said he'd always been kind of healthy, but he figured only other people had serious illnesses and that sort of thing. And He probably could have eaten a little bit better or exercised a little bit more, although he wasn't just a couch potato. He could have lost a few pounds, but there would be time for him to do that, and he was busy kind of building his life. And so at that age, he ended up unexpectedly having to undergo coronary bypass surgery. He and his wife hadn't celebrated 10 years of marriage yet. He had a kid, a daughter that was six, and he had a son that was four, And that whole experience became a motivating force for him to realize that he needed to improve some things in his life. And in retrospect, he said it was a hard way to learn because if he had done some of the things beforehand, he may not have had the heart problem and the blockage that he did. But a week after the surgery, he was very much happy to be alive and he was committed to try to figure out what he was going to do. But his doctor had told him that he, that he still had the coronary artery disease. He had it before and he had it even after that. So he was going to have to make some changes in his life. So he was, he was ready to do that, change some things about his lifestyle. But that new knowledge was kind of shot because he, he went to another doctor not long after that who was a lipid, a fat specialist. Uh, because the cholesterol, they were kind of discovering back at that time how, how all that went and. So he asked, asked the guy when he was reviewing his stuff, he said, uh, should I change my diet? Uh, should I increase my exercise? And the guy just flat said, don't worry. He said, you, you're very young, 32, 33. He said, you got a really bad coronary artery disease. He said, frankly, I'd be surprised if you made it to 40. And you probably will not see your kids graduate from, from high school. <laughs> well, that's the kind of doctor you don't like to pay. <laughs> you know, it's like... You go to him hoping, he said the bedside manner was not too great, and he was kind of depressed, and he, <coughs> he went home, and he told his wife what it was all about, and she says, okay, well, these are the cars that were dealt, but w- let's see if we can change the odds a little bit. Let's, let's concentrate on what you can do, and that's, that's, that's what they did. About 10 years ago, in 2009, he celebrated his 33rd anniversary of his bypass surgery by hiking Mount Rainier, with his wife. And today, what he does as a business, he just goes around and talks to people about healthy lifestyle choices to help you survive a little bit longer in his life. That's his whole career right now. He's seen his kids graduate from high school and from college and from grad school One of them's a lawyer. He, he walked his daughter down the aisle in her wedding. He gave the toast for his son's wedding. He's got grandchildren, and now he's celebrated over 50 years of marriage. It's all because something happened to him in his life and he realized that there were things that he needed to do if he wanted to live. Well, I got curious after, <clears throat> after I read Hall's story. I started searching through the inter- internet to figure out how many people are like Joe that actually, when they hear, when they listen to what change they need to make in their life, actually do it. You know, I, I found one study that discovered that roughly half of the patients who experience coronary bypass surgery don't follow up with the subsequent suggestions for diet or exercise. And that about a third choose not to take the prescribed medication. And I thought, that's kind of crazy. I was talking to Kevin... Going out after the first service, and he said he'd had he'd had bypass surgery about a year or two ago, and was telling me about what that experience was like for him. Man, he's doing all kinds of stuff, and he was pretty healthy before. And he's really concentrating on being healthy afterwards. But you see, what James says is if you if you know if you if you were informed that there is something that you want to do, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to look in the mirror and just walk away and say, "Well, I'm not going to mess with that"? Are you are you going to have some life changing event happen in your life? Are you going to hear something convicting from God's word and not do anything about it? There's a hospital up on the north side of Chicago that bears the same name as one of our hospitals in town that does a lot of stuff with heart stuff. It's called Christ Hospital. And they had an advertising campaign, I understand, a little while ago. And they had these billboards over the city where people would drive by and look up. And this is what the billboard said. Christ is number one in open heart surgery. That's, That's pretty good. He can do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. That's great news. But James says if you want to be blessed, if you want the equation on the good end to be blessing, you've got to listen and you've got to do. Listening plus doing equals blessing. Let's pray. God we are we confess to you stubborn pretty blockheaded people too often in our lives we do exactly what we want to do and sometimes even when it's contrary to your will maybe we've not heard it or even we have heard it we just don't do anything about it and i pray that i pray that as we leave this place that we'll almost that we'll hear that ringing in our head well what are you going to do about it God let that voice uh, haunt us if it has to to say, well, I, I heard some things or I listened and there were some things that I picked up today and that I really need to work on. I pray that you will give us receptive, humble hearts that will allow your word to be planted inside us in ways that will bring fruit and the blessing that you promised as we listen and do what you tell us to do. It's all in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.